Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. I'm Erica Spicer Mason, a writer and editor for Becker's Healthcare, and I'm thrilled to be moderating today's conversation. So today we're joined by Martin Cody, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Madiket Health, to discuss the No Surprises Act and Ghost Networks. Martin, thank you so much for joining us, and I'm really looking forward to diving in today. Likewise, and thanks so much for having me. We're excited. Thrilled to have you. And before we get into the meat of our conversation, I was wondering if you could just share a little bit more about yourself, Martin, and your organization and your role. Sure. Uh, Martin Cody, as you mentioned, SVP of sales and marketing, been in healthcare actually about 37 years. And, and most of that time was provider facing, working with the burgeoning EMR industry in the late 90s, and then RevCycle, Pop Health. Uh, practice management, all of that sort of stuff in the early 2000s. And then for the last five years or so, kind of moving upstream from the provider patient encounter to more of the provider administrative waste issue and movement of data. So Madiket Health out of Cambridge, Mass has been doing this for over 10 years. And it's interesting, given my length of time in healthcare, I had never heard of the organization and was extremely impressed when I found out what they were doing. All of those, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but all of the minutia and headache of administrative data, not clinical, but administrative data that drives providers and payers crazy is what they've automated. And it makes tremendous sense. So I was really excited to come on board in 2019. Yeah, thanks so much for the background, Martin. That's really helpful. Sounds like you have a lot of experience in the healthcare field and especially provider facing. I know that's so helpful, especially in understanding kind of, as you said, the minutia of the administrative burden. And um, so we'll we'll definitely get into that. And I wanted to start our discussion a little bit at a higher level, talking about the No Surprises Act. Uh, this is legislation that went into effect a few years ago, and we are seeing promising research that this legislation has largely protected patients from some of the most pervasive forms of surprise billing. And this Legislation has also meant a lot of changes for healthcare organizations in regards to compliance and preparation, which of course includes administrative functions. So across the healthcare industry, what challenges are you seeing here? What are some of the top concerns? That's a great question. And the challenges are immense. And, and I think you have to kind of pull, take a step back for a second and think about the complexity of healthcare in totality. I mean, it is a very, very complex system. And sometimes we take that complexity for granted. You know, we think about going to get a vaccination shot and we pull up to a pharmacy, we get a shot and we don't even think a thing of it. That wasn't always the way things happened. It took a lot of investment in infrastructure, took a lot of investment in technology, took a lot of regulatory approvals and things becoming law. The No Surprises Act or the Consolidated Appropriations Act of which the NSA is a subset of is really the same thing. And I've been around long enough to draw a parallel to kind of 1996 when the Bush administration said everybody's going to have an electronic medical record for the betterment of patient care. It makes perfect sense. Uh, but the industry kind of took a look and said, what did he just say? And the industry wasn't ready for it. So even though the framework of the NSA and the final rules and everything are now five plus years of age, uh, it only became law in 2021. And so now we're starting to see the ramifications of that because the industry wasn't ready. Payers weren't ready. Providers weren't ready. So now they're having to play catch up. It's it's a good scenario because, as you mentioned, Erica, it, it is for the betterment of the patient. And it's one thing that all of us will actually do at some point in time in our lives. We will touch the healthcare system and we'd like it to be efficient. 
So the No Surprises Act really kind of drills into several different areas as it relates to that efficiency. And first of all, you talk about price transparency, you talk about good faith estimates, you talk about independent dispute resolutions, essentially the surprise billing that you talked about. All of that stuff is under the wraps of the NSA. All of it's very important. All of it is incumbent upon accurate data. And so what we're finding in working with health systems and working with payers is they don't have accurate data. So sending bad information, and specifically we'll get into this in ghost networks, but when you're sending bad information between two parties, no one wins, least of all the patient. And that is exactly what the No Surprises Act was designed to do, was help the patient. So we're seeing uh, a couple throw your hands up situations based upon the size of the payer, size of the network, size of the health system. And they're looking for help because they've got a ton of other, other things they're trying to work with, You know, not the least of which is prior auth. So if we can help them with this, make it more efficient, make it more accurate and do it in record speed, then everybody wins, payer, provider, and more importantly, the patient. Thanks, Martin. That's such a helpful overview. And I really appreciate that parallel that you drew uh, from the NSA to what we saw in the 90s when the EMR became a requirement. So really interesting uh, to consider that. And, you know, as you're talking about how so much of the NSA and adherence to it is incumbent on accurate data and the challenges that payers are facing there. I think that leads me nicely into the next question that I had for you. You know, can you share just a high level overview of how Medicaid Health's platform is helping in this regard and really how has the NSA affected the company's approach and services? You know, we happen to be in really a great spot when it came about. I mean, Medicaid is over 10 years old. So we have been, we're at our core data platform and more specifically a provider data platform. So um, it's a SaaS model and we just have data modules on the platform. So when you look at where we have essentially cut our teeth, it is at the busiest intersection of provider and payer interaction. And that's at the clearinghouse EDI automation level. So we've touched 4,000 payers. We have processed upwards of 7 million applications for EDI. And when a provider changes addresses or changes offices and locations or actually groups, the first thing they update is their financial information. So our provider data is very, very fresh. And we have extremely accurate data. That lends itself quite well to what the health systems are requiring, what the payers are requiring from roster updates, from changes, you know, NSA, I'll back up, NSA requires that a health system or payer notify the provider that yes, we've received your change. You change a fax number, you change an office location. They have to now notify that provider within 24 hours that they are in receipt of that change. They then have to display the change on their member facing directory within 48 hours. And then they have to attest that the information within their directory is accurate every 90 days. That is a very, very difficult task when you don't have the, the rails, if you will, built internally and you don't have the manpower and the staffing shortage is not going away. So healthcare is in a perfect position to benefit from the investment in technology and automation, specifically as it relates to the NSA. And since we've been doing this for over 10 years, this is really right in our wheelhouse and we're fortunate enough to be able to help solve some of these problems at scale very, very quickly. Yeah, thanks, Martin. What a complex challenge. Everything that you've mentioned from the expectations as part of NSA and the admin requirements on the back end, but then you're considering things like staff shortages that are happening currently. Um, that's a lot for payer organizations and healthcare organizations in general to grapple with. 
Um, so appreciate you kind of painting that picture. I can just interject. I mean, that's just one aspect. When you think about yeah. how difficult this is on the provider, I'm a little bit selfish. I want the provider focused on patient care, especially if I'm in front of the provider. And if I have to sit there and worry that this provider has to file an independent dispute resolution or an IDR, and they have to do so within 30 days, and then they want to file 15 of them or 40 of them or however many patients they're seeing because they got kicked out of a network that they shouldn't have been kicked out of, that's just time away from clinical care. That's not good for anyone, least of all the provider and the patient. So being able to help automate that process and make it streamlined and efficient so that these things get resolved very, very fast, if at all, we can even resolve them before they occur. That just helps everyone in the whole process. So the platform that was built over 10 years ago is doing that now. And it's kind of a fun thing to see how fast these health systems can get turned around, if you will, and meet these requirements. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually wanted to go a little deeper on some of those requirements and how payers and providers can keep up with these requirements. For example, we know payers are expected to verify and update their provider directories. I think it's at least every 90 days. So what are the ramifications to all healthcare stakeholders when those directories are inaccurate? And can you say a little bit more about how Medicaid is really helping organizations address those issues to be compliant? Sure. Great question. And, and the ramifications are probably threefold. First, it's the ramification to the payer. They aren't going to have an accurate directory. And then when you have an inaccurate directory of provider data, the downstream ripple effect is really extreme. So take, for example, a good faith estimate. They have to now, by law, provide a good faith estimate for what this procedure is going to cost the member slash patient. And if they're basing it on the provider being in network when the provider is actually out of network because they're using inaccurate data, that's going to cost them. They also have to provide a price transparency in capacity. And again, if the provider is listed as in-network and they're actually out of network, that's a challenge. That is actually the least of the problems that occur when the directory is inaccurate. The biggest sufferer in this scenario is in fact the member or slash patient. So think of it if you were a consumer and you went to a restaurant that indicated they've got 27 locations in your city and the location that's closest to you is open and they've got a wonderful menu and you drive to that location and that location, there's no restaurant there. There doesn't even exist. It's not that you have the wrong office hours, they aren't there. So physically, that's what's happening. Members are going to these locations, and not only is the location not actually a physician office or a place rendering care, if it does happen to be a care organization, the provider they're looking for isn't there, or the provider they're looking for isn't accepting new patients, or the provider they're looking for is no longer in network. All of that stuff is a poor member experience. So the member is taking matters into their own hands and they'll call HR, they'll call the health system, or they'll just file you know, a nasty rating somewhere. And that is going to affect member star ratings. And it really is something that health systems have to be concerned about. So the ramifications are just poor image from the health system, but really a horrible member experience when your data is not accurate. Absolutely. And you know, as a healthcare patient myself, I've certainly been in that situation and of the frustration of having an inaccurate uh, directory. And, you know, I can only imagine for any patient that's really dealing with a health crisis or something that's concerning to them, you know, thinking that they found a provider only to find that that's not the case. It must be, you know, not only discouraging, but really upsetting too. 
Yeah, I would say infuriating. And most of the silver tsunami is not going to pull up an app on their smartphone and find out the next closest location. They probably arranged transportation to go to this doctor's office, and they went through quite a different, quite a few steps to go there. And then when the office doesn't exist, or the doctor's not there, or they aren't in network, or they aren't accepting new patients, that's all controllable. And it's something that should be taken care of. We wouldn't eat at the restaurant chain that actually was putting up false information with regards to locations in our town. We just stopped frequenting them. And that's what's actually going to happen. And you're seeing signs of that now. With There's various reports that indicate when a, when a patient or member has a poor digital experience, 51% uh, of them are more likely to switch their providers. And so we have to get the data accurate. And we're happy that the government decided to make this law because we're in the right place at the right time because we make the data accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Martin. And, and I like what you just said a few moments ago about how so many of these factors are within our control or the indus industry's control. So as you look ahead, what do you think healthcare leaders should really be prioritizing to optimize compliance with NSA? And you know, where can they go to learn more or even to get kind of a leg up in this regard? I don't envy healthcare leaders, and it's especially in the clinical space. Now, we don't do anything at Medicaid with clinical data. There's no PHI. There's no claims data. It's all of the administrative data. And all of us have been in that situation where you go to your doctor's office that you've been going to for years, and they hand you a clipboard that says, could you fill this out, please? And you, you sit there and say, how on earth is this not in your system? And it is in their system. They just don't have the means to extract it oftentimes. But we're getting a little bit ahead of that because we have to, it, it has to, we have to solve this problem with automation and technology because there's no staff and different than the EMR scenario that I referenced in the nineties, where the government actually gave a financial incentive that said, you know, if you adopt a meaningful use certified electronic medical record, we're going to incent your CMS payments uh, by X amount over a five-year period. And if you don't do it, we're going to penalize you. So there was the, the classic carrot and stick modality of enforcement. Right now, it's just all stick. Uh, CMS came and said, you're going to be fined. And then when the system, when it became law in 2021, threw up their hands and said, we can't handle this. And that was healthcare organizations, payers, plans. No one could handle it. CMS paused the fines. You're starting to see, you're starting to see CMS do some secret shopping. You're starting to see them institute some fines. And the more folks are penalized, the more they're going to take action. Because as I said, this is complex. Healthcare systems have a myriad of challenges that they're trying to solve. This is just another one of them. And so if we can help them solve this fast, and I'm talking 45 days, 30 to 45 days, uh, they can go to medicathealth.com backslash ROI, and we can even put forth for them a guaranteed savings program for their system. So that if we don't solve the problems that we're agreeing that we need to solve, we've got a financial heartache, so to speak. We, we've got skin in the game because it's the only way you're gonna get these organizations to move because they've got so many other challenges that they're dealing with. So it's it's not easy. Like it, I can't overstate the complexity of this, but if someone is investing in automation, they should be investing with a platform that automates all of their non-clinical data. Thanks, Martin. Really appreciate kind of a tangible next step or resource amid all of this complexity. It's certainly helpful. And I've learned a lot from you today. And before we close out our discussion, just wanted to check if there was anything else that you'd like our listeners to know. 
Uh, the problem's solvable. I certainly want them to know that. If you are a VP of finance, uh, over compliance or over uh, member experience, definitely go to maticathealth.com backslash ROI. Hit me up on LinkedIn. If you can't get through on the website, Martin Cody, it will say entrepreneur, healthcare, and wine, because I think if you're in healthcare long enough, you're going to have a vice. Mine is wine. And uh, let us help solve your problems. As I said, we can do this and guarantee it so that you can take this off your to-do list and focus on other things. I, and we look forward to talking with you. I don't think anybody moves faster than Madikit. And I can say that after 37 years of experience, uh, this is what we were essentially built to do. And so we're excited to have the opportunity to speak with you today and your listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Martin, for an illuminating conversation, for sharing a bit about yourself and of course, what's going on at Madikit. Thank you again for being here today. Our pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. We'd also like to thank Madikit Health for sponsoring today's episode. To tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare, please be sure to visit our podcast page on beckershospitalreview.com.